0: something really elaborate to say at the beginning but what I really want to say and what I feel like the Holy Ghost wants to say today is live your life like Jesus is coming back today live your life every day like he could be coming back in the next moment because I don't know about you but um, the times are at hand and God's coming back quickly, and I want to be ready. I plan on being ready, and I hope every one of you do too. So this morning, I want to um, turn your attention to uh, a scripture, a, a couple verses in Luke. It's Luke verse six, or chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, if you would go there with me we'll pray after we hit this opening text it's luke chapter 16 verses 13 through 15 everybody say amen when you got it amen so i'm going to go ahead and start reading this is the king james version it says no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and mammon and verse 14 says and the pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him they derided jesus they mocked him and then he said unto them Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So today I just want to, um, I did give this message a title and I'm just going to call it Your Lifestyle Equals Your Story. If we could all just bow our heads and pray to kick this uh, time of word off with in jesus name lord we we lift ourselves to you god we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirit to understand your word to receive it god and to grow from it i pray that this seed would go forth and land on good ground and that you would cause the increase to come in jesus name amen you may be seated so i want to say right now That I'm not preaching against money. (laughs) Because when this scripture comes up, I I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong uh, concept of what I'm going to be talking about. Okay, So I want to tell you right now, I'm not preaching against money. I'm not preaching against means of wealth. I'm a banker. I don't preach against money. I believe that the means of wealth are just that, they're means. They're uh, something that God gives us. They're uh, an extra portion that God will give us to further his kingdom. That's what I believe. Money can be used good and it can be used bad. And I'm not just going to talk about money, so don't, don't write me off right now, okay? Being rich is not sinful, being wealthy is not a bad thing. What Jesus is saying in the above scripture is that you cannot serve two conflicting masters. You cannot serve mammon or uh, worldly pleasures or worldly lusts or means of wealth and God. That is impossible. We cannot serve two conflicting masters in the physical. And Jesus is just uh, backing up that idea and saying you can't serve conflicting masters you can have wealth and serve Jesus you can have means of wealth and serve Jesus but you cannot serve two conflicting ideas you cannot serve two conflicting masters so I want to share with you a few examples of what I mean these are real life stories okay and they're both set in the 90s and they're both in Los Angeles (laughs) so in 1990 on a Friday afternoon in Los Angeles a businessman was staggering to his office building because he had just got shot in the chest. And he was dying on the steps of his office. The last thing he cried out were his three kids' names. But what he still had clutched in his hand was a $10,000 Rolex watch that he would not give up in a robbery. And he was willing to be shot for this watch, this this uh, thing that he had purchased, it was ten thousand dollars. He was unwilling to part with it. In nineteen ninety-two, this is another story in the Los Angeles Times. It's told about a lady named Michelle. She was a successful writer and author who fears the day that her husband might discover her secret stash of credit cards. Or her secret post office box or the other tricks that she uses to hide how much money she spends on shopping for herself again I'm not preaching against money but there's there's something that I want to pull out of these stories she said and this is a quote straight from her I make as much money as my husband does if I want a $500 suit from Ann Taylor I deserve it and don't want to be hassled about it so the easiest thing to do is lie she explains to the person who was conducting this interview. Last year, when her husband forced her to, to destroy one of her credit cards, Michelle went out and got a new one without telling him. And this is another quote from her. I do live in fear. If he discovers the new visa, he'll kill me. There's something that I want to bring out of these two stories is that in these stories, these people were serving Mammon. They didn't just have money and serve God. They were serving what, and in reality, what it comes down to is they were serving their own selfishness, their own indulgences. They were serving themselves. They were uh, spending into their life instead of pouring out into somebody else. They were too busy getting so far ahead and comparing themselves with the world standards of what success looks like that they forgot completely about the God who created them and the God who had a purpose on their life. They were too busy living a selfish lifestyle that one man wouldn't even give up his watch so that he could live. He was willing to die for that thing. How many Christians are willing to die for the cause of Jesus? How many times have we been uh, put in that situation and we would rather save face than stand up for God? That's why I say your lifestyle equals your story. That's the distinction between serving and just having. These two people were slaves to what uh, they saw as success. They were slaves to their money. They were slaves to uh, a selfish lifestyle. And that led to more immoral, sinful lifestyles. Michelle said she lives in fear. She lies to her husband because she was too busy giving to herself. When you serve mammon, which is the means of wealth and security that you trust in more than Jehovah Jireh. That's what it means to serve mammon. It means that you trust in yourself more than you trust in God. You trust in your own means, in your own wealth, more than the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh means God is my provider. God is my provision. He supplies all my needs. In Psalms, it talks about how God owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The fatness of the earth is his. He created it all, so he has it all. And we're too busy running on the treadmill trying to live a life that the world standard says what is successful and and what is popular and what is good for you to do. We're too busy trying to run on that treadmill that we forget God is coming back soon and we have to line our life up with the word of God. That's what I want to talk about today. That's the big point uh, this morning is that we have to change our lifestyle. We have to live according to the word of God. Like I said, I'm a banker. I see a lot of things. I see a lot of this still. Did you know the average average American credit card debt is 15,000? That's just credit cards. That's not including good debt. What what the bank considers good debt is mortgages because you're buying a house, uh, car loans, things of that nature. That's good debt. Credit cards are bad debt because what credit card debt shows is that people are living outside of their means, and that's not a good thing. That's not a good place to be. Um, I've been through Dave Ramsey, I've, I've, I've gone through all the financial courses, I'm a financial guy, but what we see is that people still have this innate desire to belong. We have this innate desire to, uh, d- to belong to what the, everyone around us says is the status quo. So what we do is we rack up all this credit card debt. We, we, we start uh, buying the clothes that everybody's wearing. We start uh, living the lifestyle that everybody's living. You know, doing all kinds of things that don't help us further the kingdom of God. Again, I want to say, I'm not preaching against good things. I'm not preaching against having good things. I'm not preaching against that stuff. But what I want to tell you is that if we're not careful, that feeds into pride and it feeds into selfishness I've met with too many clients with too much credit card debt not not just credit card debt but too much debt that they don't know what to do with and I do my best as a banker to look out for their uh, their financial well-being and to better them for the future and I've come across way too many uh, d- too many debt pictures where they're trying to consolidate and get rid of things. Um, And I just want to tell you that I'm jumping back to the scripture. I didn't know a good way to transition, so I'm just going to tell you I'm going back to the scripture. So I just wanted to tell you that um, Jesus was not bashing the Pharisees because they had money. That's not what Jesus was after. Jesus went right to their heart. He wasn't saying you got money, that's your problem. What he was saying is that your lifestyle, the way that you're using the means that I gave you is not right. He was correcting them because their lifestyle had become sinful by covetousness and by, worldly, by desiring worldly pleasures above the presence of God. That's the point that he was getting to. He wasn't getting to the whole, you got too much money, you're, you're in trouble. You can't go to heaven with too much money. That's not what Jesus was saying. What he was saying is the way that you're spending your lifestyle with what I have given you is not right. They saw it, even the Pharisees in verse 15. I just want to read it one more time. And this is Jesus speaking to them. And he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men. He was saying, you people are too busy worrying about what everybody thinks about you that you don't desire my presence anymore. And then he goes on to say, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. These Pharisees had lived their life to get the acceptance from the world. They lived their life to please everyone around them that they had totally forgotten about how precious and how priceless the presence of God is. Their lifestyle had literally become an abomination to God not just because of the money, but the way they lived every day. Sin had gripped their hearts. Greed, lust, covetousness had consumed them to a point where they did not even desire the presence of God anymore. And after Jesus gives this nugget of information, he goes on to teach a parable to them. And this is what I really want to break down today is the parable. And he kind of puts things into perspective using a story. How many of you have been enjoying the series, My Story, His Kingdom? I've been loving it. It's been amazing. It's, it, it helps so much to have somebody just break down a parable and say, this is what it means. This is what Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus taught in parables, he used things that people understood in order to convey a kingdom message. So this is the story that He told. these Pharisees and everybody that was listening. It's Luke 16 verses 19 through 31. I'm going to read the whole thing, but while I go through it, I'm just going to break it down. And I'm also going to read in the amplified version. So this is Luke 16, 19 through 31 in the amplified. Perfect. Now there was a certain rich man who habitually dressed in expensive purple and fine linen and celebrated and lived joyously in splendor every day. This dude was rich. So what it's it's talking about here, he habitually clothed himself. He had enough money to buy expensive clothes that he could wear all the time. Purple dye that it talks about is made from a rare shellfish off the coast of Tyre. And that's like the only place it's found is off the coasts of Tyre. It's called uh, Murex. I'm not even going to try the last one because it's crazy. It's a Greek name. But each shellfish made one drop of dye. So can you imagine having a whole garment, purple, in that time? That was the only way they made purple dye back then. And each shellfish made one drop of dye. So this, when it talks about he dressed in expensive purple, that's the kind of clothes that he wore. Was something so over the top, so expensive, that only the rich of the rich could afford it. Only kings and nobles wore purple, because that was the way they made purple dye. The linen was the finest Egyptian linen you could afford. It was stark white. It was uh, the most beautiful piece of linen that you could buy in this time. And he wore purple and fine linen every day. He was extremely rich rich, and spent everything he had on worldly pleasures and selfish desires. He probably had a $10,000 Rolex too. Just throwing that out there. And a poor man, this is verse 20, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. So Lazarus, I was talking to Pastor before service, Lazarus is the only character in all of Jesus' parables that was named. He was the only one that had a name. And Pastor had conveyed to me right before church that a lot of scholars believe this is a real story. That's why Lazarus had a name. That's what a lot of scholars believe. So this guy, Lazarus, was laid at the gate of this rich man. There's an extremely stark comparison here. The rich man was covered in purple and linen and beautiful things. And Lazarus was clothed in sores, the opposite. He was clothed in something horrible and something uh, disgusting that people did not even want to get close to him. But this rich man was covered in beautiful clothing and fine linen and purple and, 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 and beautiful things. Lazarus, the name means God helps. And then in verse 21, and this is speaking of Lazarus, he eagerly longed to eat the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. To add insult to injury, he had dogs coming up and licking him. I was studying that because I didn't really, it almost seems like it doesn't fit where it's positioned in the scripture. And one of the commentaries that I read, and this was in the Apostolic Study Bible, um, is that this guy was so poor, the only form of comfort he had was from primal animals coming and trying to comfort his sores. That was the only comfort he had in life, was these dogs licking him. Because that's the way dogs comfort themselves when they cut their, hand, their, their paws that you'll see the dog just sit and lick itself. Or when it has a baby and the baby gets hurt, it'll just lick the baby because that's the way they soothe themselves. So what this was saying is that Lazarus was so miserable, the only form of comfort he had was these dogs coming up and licking him. He had such a miserable experience that he would settle for scraps. He had nothing to eat. Verse 22, now it happened that the poor man died and his spirit was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom or paradise. And the rich man also died and was buried. I find it interesting that they talk about the difference of how these men entered the afterlife. Lazarus was carried by angels and the rich man was just buried. Death is universal. Death happens to everybody. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you live for God or not, everybody's going to die because when sin entered the world, it started the physical clock as well as the spiritual. And the difference uh, between these two men is another stark uh, difference that Jesus was trying to point out. The way you live your life carries over into the afterlife. Then in verse 23, in Hades, the realm of the dead, Hades is a Greek word, and that's what it means, the realm of the dead, being in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom, or in paradise, and he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in severe agony in this flame. Just as Lazarus would settle for scraps from the rich man's table, now the tables were turned. The rich man would settle for one drop of water from Lazarus' finger. Then verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, all the comforts and delights, and Lazarus likewise bad things, all the discomforts and distresses. But now he is comforted Comforted here in paradise while you are in severe agony. Abraham uncovers a spiritual principle here to the rich man. He basically tells the rich man, the way you lived your life has caused you to be here. And then verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you people, a great chasm is fixed so that those who want to come over from here to you will not be able and none may cross over from there to us. It is impossible to move between where the rich man is and where Lazarus is. It's impossible to cross over when the time's up. Verse 27, so the rich man said, then Father Abraham, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may solemnly warn them and witness to them so that they too will not come to this place of torment. I want to stop and just add something real quick. If you ever thought that somebody does not want to hear what you have to say about the word of God, If you've ever thought you felt God prompt you to talk to somebody and you reasoned away and said, no, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They won't believe me. They won't understand. They they won't turn their life over to God. I do not want to miss out on that situation and have this happen. The man, the rich man was begging He was begging Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers so that they would not come to where he is. In verse 29, but Abraham said they have the scriptures given by Moses and the writings of the prophets let them listen to them. And then, The rich man replies to him in verse 30. He replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, they will change their old way of thinking and seek God and his righteousness. In verse 31, and he said to him, if they do not listen to the messages of Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Abraham would not let Lazarus go back because the rich man's brothers would have become sign seekers and not seekers of God. Abraham was not going to allow Lazarus to do that because the only thing that can change your life is the presence and the word of God. That is the only thing that can change your heart. The Bible says that the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the only thing that can pierce even to the deepest reaches of our heart and our soul. That is the only thing that will change our life. David said this in Psalms, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He was saying, I have to, it's your word that causes me to live right. It's your, it's your word that causes me to live righteously because I have a roadmap that I can line my life up with and I can see your principles and I can see the, 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 your guidings and, and the way that I'm supposed to live. It's your word that I've hid in my heart. That's what Abraham was reiterating to this rich man is they have to listen to the prophets. They have to listen to the word. They have to uh, figure out their own salvation that way. And if they won't even listen to the prophets, they're not gonna worry about some man that was risen from the dead. Because right now, they don't believe in the word. They don't believe in God. So why would they believe someone that rises from the dead? All they would become are people who look for handouts and search for miracles. And they will not become seekers of God. They won't change their lifestyle because of that. It'll be one of those things. This happens to us when we experience the presence of God. And when God does a miracle in our lives, how many of you, when God's done something amazing in your life, you go down a couple, you're like way up on this mountain, and then you a couple weeks later, you're just kind of, yeah, that was cool. That was great. That's what happens when you're a sign seeker. That's what happens when you're not a seeker of God. You can see a miracle and experience an amazing thing and walk completely away from God because there's not another miracle there or because God is not showing you the things that you want to see. That's what Abraham was telling this rich man. They have to change their lifestyle, they have to line it up with the Word in order to be saved. The rich man and Lazarus' lifestyle were their story. That's what Jesus was trying to convey. Jesus was explaining the dangers of serving mammon above God. He was showing them what happens when you serve yourself over than loving the presence of God. The world will always let you down. Whether you believe it or not. The world will always let you down, whether it's in this lifetime or in the next life. The world will always let you down. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's not just talking about a physical death or physical life. That's also talking the rich man experienced the second death, which is an eternity of suffering. On the flip side, Lazarus experienced the eternal life in paradise. And I want to stop right here and say, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not when we come in here and lift our hands and then go home and live however we want to. That's not worship. Worship is not just a shout. Worship is not just a song. Worship is what you do after you leave these doors. Worship is also having integrity that when you're behind closed doors you're still living for God. You're still praying, you're still reading the word, you're still fasting. That's what worship is. Worship is a lifestyle. James 1:21 through 25. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of ha- of naughtiness and receive the, with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The word is able to save your soul. If you ever have a question, get in the word because it will save your soul. If you ever have something that you're worried about, get in the word because it will save your soul. It will help you make up your mind. And it will show you the right way. In verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves you got to live the life. You can't live half in, half out. You can't live on the fence. It's either live for God or live for yourself. It's either live for God or live for the world. That's why Jesus said, you can't serve both God and man and you cannot serve me and the world at the same time because I am light and there's no darkness in God. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 25, "But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Get rid of all the filthiness in our lifestyle. Get rid of all of the, the garbage that this, this world tries to shove into our lifestyle. I'm not saying that you have to give up good things. I'm not saying that you can't have fun because <laughs> that's not what Jesus said. We have to live righteous. We have to live after the word. Verse 24 is saying, the word does not exist to merely show a person's reflection, but it exists to show us who we really are and to prompt us to change our lifestyle. In verse 25, I want to bring this out to your attention as well. The word continueth when it says, But whoso looketh into the law of lib or the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. That word continueth is a Greek word. It's meno, long o, which means abides or lives. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and lives therein. Not just continues for a little while, but bases their whole life on it. And being not a forgetful hearer, not somebody who comes in on a Sunday and hears uh, amazing preaching that that pastor and, and our preaching team brings to the table and then walking away and doing nothing with it. But we have to hear the word and be doers also. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and lives therein. That sounds like lifestyle to me. Your lifestyle is your story. The lesson we can learn from the rich man and Lazarus is exactly what I said at the beginning. Live like God is coming back today. Be generous and loving. Be a doer of the word. Line up with the word of God. So, I brought something with me something that's very special to me it's uh you know it's important to have godly role models in your life right they help you they guide you our men's group is amazing at that and and we have a wonderful support net here we have wonderful Saints and pillars in this church that we don't have a lack of role models in this church but it's important to have mentors, and it's important to have people that you can look to, as well as look at the Word. So I brought this with me. Um, two important family members in my life that have helped me to uh, always look to the Word and that have helped me to keep God first in everything that I do is my mom and my grandma. My grandma this is my grandma's Bible. I look, when I look at this, it's a lifestyle, living for God. It's a lifetime of living for God. My grandma's still here. She didn't pass away. But when I moved, or after I got married, she gave me this. And when I open it, there's notes, there's prayers written in it. There's, she's got messages from the 80s still written in here. She's got messages uh, that have impacted her life in such a way that she would write in here what she would change in her life and and what God was calling her to do. She has, when I received the Holy Ghost and when I was baptized, the date's written in here. She has the same for my brother. She has prayers for my cousin Aaron. When he was born, he had autism and severe, severe uh, issues. He was in the ICU for weeks after he was born and she has prayers on this first page for him and she wrote in there Aaron's in the ICU God has saved his life that's what she wrote in here so when I look at this it reminds me that I can't just come to church on a Sunday and go back home and live however I want to live it reminds me that I have to live according to this word every day of my life. There are no exceptions. This is a living word. It's a living organism. When we speak it, it produces life. It quickens the spirit. It encourages people. There's nothing in this book that's discouraging. There's nothing in this book that will tear you down. It's all wonderful love. It's, It's love letters that God has written to us. And it's ways that we have to live our life every day. I know when preachers preach about lifestyle that it's not a popular message. It's just like preaching repentance. It's not a popular message. It wasn't back in the day and it still ain't. But I'm gonna tell you, because of what I know and what I've experienced, that if we don't live according to this word, where would I be? If if my mom and my grandma did not play such an important role in my life and teach me to keep God first above everything, I don't know where I'd be. So I want to tell you, that we have to keep God first. We have to keep God first above everything. I want to read a psalm to you. A psalm, not psalms, but a psalm. It's Psalms 1, the very first psalm. Tanya, you can come up. I'm going to I'm going to close. And I want to close with this. This is Psalms 1. The whole chapter is just 6 verses. And it's I'm going to read it in the amplified version. I love the Amplified Version, by the way, because it helps me break things down. Sometimes I have trouble with the King James. Sometimes I have trouble understanding it. But the Amplified Version helps me kind of break it down a little bit. So I want to read this to you. Verse 1 starts off, Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who does walk in the counsel of the wicked or does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers or ridiculers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted and fed by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does he prospers and comes to maturity the wicked those who live in disobedience to god's law those who live in disobedience to god's law are not so but they are like the chaff worthless and without substance which the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand unpunished in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous For the Lord knows and fully approves the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. The way of the righteous, the lifestyle of the righteous. Salvation is not a one-step repeat-after-me process. It's not a one-and-done deal. It's not repent be baptized in jesus name and be filled with the holy ghost evidence of speaking in tongues and then you can live however you want that's not salvation that's the initial steps to salvation but we have to continually live in sanctification it's not a once saved always saved deal we have to live a sanctified life set apart for god's purpose a holy life a life that pleases god because if it doesn't please God verse 6 says but the way of the wicked shall perish it's not going to exist anymore it's gone it's like the rich man when he passed away and ended up in the place he was at but Lazarus the man in paradise now Lazarus means God helps God will help you He's faithful. He's not a God that brings you somewhere to a place of, to a place of suffering and a, and a place of anguish and just leaves you there. That's not the kind of God we serve. The kind of God we serve will fill your life so full that you're living in the overflow every day of your life. Can I tell you that the only way that our lifestyle will change is if God first fills us up and gives us revelation in the word which he will do. So in in closing, if we could all stand, I asked Tanya to play this song for me. Because I was up at eleven thirty last night um, praying and, and studying a little bit, you know, for for today and I had just kind of a worship playlist going, and I heard this song. I'm a gospel guy. I love gospel music, right? I love Kirk Franklin. I love Hezekiah Walker. I love Ty Tribbett. And I heard this this song came on my gospel playlist, and it's called uh, Fill Me Up, right? Is that what it's called, Fill Me Up? And Tasha Cobb was singing it. And I began to weep as the presence of God fell in my bedroom. Tasha was already asleep and I was just praying, just seeking the face of God. And when this song came on, God quickened my spirit and he said, that's it, fill me up. The opening part of this song says, you provide the fire, I provide the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. My life is the sacrifice. So if we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. This altar is open right now. And I'm not just inviting, I I don't want you to be singled out. I'm not just inviting people that, that aren't living right right now. I'm inviting everybody. Because we have to get more of God every day of our life. God has to fill us up once again every day. And I want to be full to the overflowing so that when I'm living my life and I'm walking into work or I'm walking down the street or I'm hanging out with family, I want people to know who God is just by looking at me and that they can feel the presence of God. We all have to be at that place. When we're living our lifestyle righteously, our story reflects it. It becomes a testimony. It becomes empowerment for other people to live righteously. It becomes an example for people that they can follow. Paul said, I believe it was Paul, said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm gonna live for God. Don't just follow me because of who I am. Follow me because I'm following Christ. Follow Christ. I'm not trying to build my own kingdom. Follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As we sing this song, or as Tanya sings it, because I ain't going to, I just want us to take an inventory right now and just look. Take a serious look at our life. Ask God to reveal things to us. If there's anything even if we don't know it to be something that can draw us away from God, I ask that God would reveal it to us. That's something that I pray every day. God, if there's anything in my heart that's contrary to your word, convict me, show me so I can change and help me to change. So I want us to pray that in this altar caller. And I just want us to take an inventory today. Jesus' name. You're all welcome to come down to the altar call. We're we're gonna sing this song and we're gonna sing it as worship to God. You provide spirit. Yes, Jesus.